Good morning. It's a real privilege to be with all of you. Uh, Jonathan is a very good student. I'm sure he's told you that many times. <laughs> no, uh, he probably hasn't told you, but he was a delight to teach, and he's a wonderful friend. This last Thursday, I was talking to my mother. Um, I'm 62 years old, and she's 87. And that's right, go 87. She's, uh, she was clearing out the attic. I'm pretty sure this is now, she's in the 30th year of trying to clear out her attic. Um, so she keeps at it, and um, I don't think there's a big hurry because I don't want her to leave that house, but maybe I shouldn't have that opinion. <coughs> so uh, we were talking about, uh, 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 she was trying to decide whether she needed to keep something. And, but she was listening to a podcast before she called me, and she was listening to a podcast of Jonathan. <laughs> Only it, she was, it was one of the times he was talking to me. And that's why she was listening to it. It's because somebody said, you got to hear, like, uh, your son's on this podcast. So she's listening to the podcast, and then she called, and she said, um, now, uh, is Jonathan related to Michael Yusuf? And, and, and I said, so why do you want to know? She said, because I like him on TV. His invitation to follow Jesus is so compelling. I said, are they, uh, are they related? I said, they are related. Jonathan is Michael's son. Oh, what a lovely family. So when you see them, <laughs> I said, I'm going to see them this Sunday. And he said, she said, that's wonderful. What are you talking about? Well, I'm going to be talking about how you honor your parents as they get old. <laughs> which um, she didn't know because I hadn't called her to ask for her advice on how to honor your parents when, you get, <laughs> when they get old, which uh, wasn't ideal. But uh, she did, that didn't bother her. But then she thought, um, am I one of those parents who is losing the ability to make decisions for myself? I said, doesn't seem like it, Mom. She said, because I'm working at it. I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm learning some new Bach preludes and fugues. <laughs> Okay, I think you're all right, Mom. <laughs> if that's what you're doing to keep sharp, then I think you're all right. It's okay. And that is the narrow question that I want to answer today. I, we're going we're gonna to have to run through what it means to honor parents when you're an adult, like what it means for me to honor my mother. Uh, my father's gone to be with the Lord, but what does it mean for me as a 62-year-old man to honor my mother in a way that obeys what the Bible says about honoring your parents. Um, I will say a bit about that. Uh, but I'm mostly going to be concerned with the even more difficult question, the narrower question of how do you honor your parents when they, they're in their decline to the point that they either shouldn't or don't want to or can't make decisions for themselves. That's a very specific question. I got into this. Um, I uh, volunteered to help uh, do ethics consultations at a hospital in Chattanooga. It means that I help families talk about uh, what, what medical decisions to make for a loved one who's unconscious in the intensive care unit. And that, uh, I think I've, I have a lot of experience at that. It's always hard. So if any of you have been through that or you're in the middle of it now and you're thinking, oh, if only I had the special decoder ring that told there isn't one. Um, what you need is someone who can help you work out um, within biblical principles, and it, it's, it's never easy. It can be done. It's never easy. This is a problem just on this side of that, not unconscious, 
but no longer able to make, confidently, to make decisions uh, for themselves. So we're going to go there. Uh, I'm going to start in Matthew 15, which is the longest New Testament passage uh, about honoring your father and mother. And it's part of Jesus answering a complaint that had come to him from the Pharisees. So uh, consider with me the first nine verses of Matthew 15. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus, you nullify nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we hope never to hear Jesus speak a word of rebuke to us. And here as we attend to the rebuke that he gives to the Pharisees, we ask that you would be at work in our hearts, that we would love you, that we would love your word and your law, and that we would honor our father and mother as you intend. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to get there by telling a true story. This is a story about Edith and Grant. Um, And it's true, the names have changed, so if you're thinking of someone you know named Edith who's 91 years old, it's not this one. Uh, And and just to help you get into the spirit of this, imagine that you're sitting in a Starbucks, you're talking to Grant, who's in his late 30s. Uh, Edith is his grandmother. And he's come to you for advice on the grounds that you teach ethics in seminary. This is a mistake. uh, No, it it is the sort of, I should be able to answer questions of the kind that I'm going to describe. So let me describe, uh, Grant lays out for me what's happening with his grandmother, Edith. Grant is Edith's only living relative. And he has been visiting her regularly, at least once a week, since she moved into the assisted living facility and he has watched her decline. She, is, she got to the point where she was regularly confused and forgetful and realized it was happening and asked Grant to start making choices about, you know, said, like, please don't, I'm not, I don't want to write any more checks. Um, will you help me make choices? She was fine with the affairs of daily living. She could decide what to eat uh, when they gave her choices. She could remember to go... Uh, to, uh, to the meetings when, you know, when there was an opportunity to hear someone speak. She could remember to go, but she didn't trust herself with complicated things. And this is ordinary. It's an ordinary part of uh, the process of aging. And then she fell, and she broke her hip. And between uh, the surgery and the recovery, she, she was still recovering from the surgery, and the doctors told her, Edith, you cannot try to get out of your chair because if you stand up and you take a step, you're going to fall, and that could be it. The kind of damage that would be done, the medicine that would take, it would be, 
it could be fatal if you fall again, so you can't get out of your chair. And that's why Grant came to me. He said, there's two choices that I have to make for my grandmother that they want me to make for her. One is, it's, it's no longer legal to strap people to a chair, which is good. It's now elder abuse. Don't do it. Um, but they can't do that, even though that would protect her from standing up. It's also really distressing. And when my own grandmother, 30 years ago, was um, in her last days, she was physically strapped to a chair, and they would forget about her. That's one of the reasons it's illegal. <clears throat> so you can't do that. But what you can do is you can do what's called chemical restraints, where you give someone enough sedative that you will not want to do much of anything at all including get out of your chair. And so with a chemical restraint, you're so foggy that really you're not aware of what's going on around you. So here's the first question. Do I, do the doctors think this is one way to keep her from hurting herself in a fatal way? We'll give her enough medication so that she never is interested in getting out of her chair. She won't be able to, she really won't know what's going on around her at all, but she won't hurt herself. That's the first question. If you're not going to say yes to that, um, we could, we could give her a full-time sitter. Edith had enough of her own money to pay for the, to live in the assisted living facility for the rest of her life. She didn't have the money in her estate to pay for a 24-7 sitter so that she wouldn't die from trying to get out of bed or out of her chair. That's the second question. Does, does God's command to honor your father and mother obligate him to take money out of his retirement account and the education account for his children, Edith's great-grandchildren, take the money out of their account, his account and theirs, to pay for a full-time sitter. Just imagine that there's a very nice, earnest young man sitting across from you at Starbucks who wants to know, what should I do? I'm going to come back to them. We will not end before I have... I explained what happened, not only what I said, but what happened in the case. But um, one of the reasons that I think it's so important for us to talk about this is if you went to Amazon and typed in, uh, does God's word obligate me to spend my retirement money on my, great, on my grandmother, which I did, you will find resources. There are Christians writing about that, well-intended, um, I think, and often very helpful, especially narrative accounts of what it's like to care for someone as they uh, become uh, too infirm to care for themselves. And it's a very common piece of advice in those books that you come to, you, instead of, in fact, the title of one of them is, When Your Parent Becomes Your Child. And there are many ways, there are similarities between caring for an elderly loved one. They become dependent in certain ways for feeding and sometimes for, uh, for toileting and uh, clothing and like that, that are similar to the way you would care for a child. But um, I want to argue that's not the best way to think about it. I'm going to try to give you reasons for that. But that's why it's important that we, that we talk about it this morning, is even if you think my parents uh, are so healthy and they're never going to get infirm, or you're thinking, uh, my grandparents are all dead, I'm 15 years old, and why would I care about this? If you listen carefully, there's a decent chance that if your parents weren't listening carefully this morning, in a few years, they're going to need your help. <laughs> and 
And they will say, we heard something about this. Do you remember? And then you can say, yeah, I remember the sermon. It wasn't very interesting, but I do remember the principle. See, that's, um, you can help. So there's something here for everybody. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look again at what Jesus says in Matthew 15 to answer the Pharisees. We're going to talk about what it means to honor your father and mother in general. First when you're a child child, then when you're an adult like most of us. Um, and then we'll, we'll talk about what it means to extend that honoring to parents who can no longer make decisions for themselves. I'll say a word about what it means for us to be in the right story, not the story of becoming their parents, but a different story. And then I will, we'll talk about the principle that I offered to Grant. Um, I should tell you, Grant, who would come to me for help, was a pastor. So it wasn't like he had no idea what to say. He just didn't trust himself with regards to the way he cared for his grandmother. So the, what I'm going to offer as a principle is something we ended up agreeing about. Um, but he wanted help, which was wise. Let's talk about Jesus' answer to the Pharisees. Uh, this comes after Jesus has fed 5,000 fed 5, people and cast demons out of others and healed a bunch of people. And the Pharisees' question is, why do you let your disciples eat without washing their hands? You would think they could have had better questions, like, how'd you feed 5,000 people? <laughs> Instead... Why are your disciples eating without washing hands? It's important to realize that there is Old Testament laws. There are Old Testament laws about washing your hands. All of the laws are for the priests. It's for the priests to wash their hands before they perform a sacrifice or a hand washing that goes before they put on the ceremonial robes, the vestments, to, in order to perform their functions in the temple. The hand washing laws that are in the Old Testament are, are all about purity. They're about spiritual purity, not about food safety or hygiene. They are, they are, the laws that are there are to remind Israel that God is holy and that you must prepare yourself to go into God's presence. And the reason we're not all sprinkling ourselves before we come in here and putting on special garments is because Jesus has made the way open for us. That's why we don't have to do those things. Well, the Pharisees had added to those laws. They had taken what was for the priests and they'd bloated it out to a bunch of rules that they could use to criticize other people for not washing their hands before they ate at all. And again, it wasn't about food, it was just about having rules. And so they had taken their tradition and they'd elevated it to the point that it was at least as important as the Old Testament law and Jesus is about to let them have it because they've made their tradition more important than the Old Testament law. So Jesus says, you're worried about, you've got a problem with me? <laughs> Look what you do to God's clear commands with regards to honoring your father and mother. He reminds them, he says, the law says, this is Exodus 20 verse 12, the law says, honor your father and mother. And then, and then he quotes from Leviticus, those who curse father or mother should die. In this, Jesus affirms that the commandment certainly applies to us because he teaches it here with his disciples listening, and we are his disciples. And he also makes it clear that the honoring of father and mother is not based on what they can do for you because he's talking about a case where father and mother were needy. And so 
in some cultures, it's uh, you honor your father and you put up with your mother or maybe protect her, something. But you honor your father, and, but only because you're afraid of him or because he can do something for you. He's the key to your future. Jesus is saying, honor, and father, honor your father and your mother even when they're needy. So this is not based on something you're going to get in return. What the Pharisees had done is they had invented a new rule. And the rule was that there's, if there was something that you were going to give to your parents who were in need, and it's, it's, a, it's not really a money-based economy, so we're talking about food or clothing. You were going to give this to your parents because they needed it, and the Pharisees said, you know, instead of giving it to your parents, you could say it's devoted to God. And because of that, you would give it to the priests. So the priests have invented a rule that says instead of giving your parents what they might need, give it to the priests, and not only is that okay, but that's how you will fulfill the command to honor your father and mother. It's like, this is, that's why Jesus says you've nullified the law, is you, took, you stood, turned it on its head, you turned what was supposed to be about honoring your parents and turned it into cursing them. And that's why Jesus points out, if you curse father and mother, you deserve to die. This is what you have done with your tradition and rules. You've not only set the law aside, you're encouraging people to break the law. So whatever Jesus is talking about, honoring father and mother is still clearly very important, and it is not based on our parents being able to do something good for us. Let's talk now about what it means to honor your father and mother at different stages in life. When you're young, and by young, I'm going with under 13, because in biblical times, at the time that uh, Paul is writing, this is Ephesians 6. Yeah. In Ephesians 6, we read, Children, obey your parents for this, in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. The children here, in the, at the time that Paul is writing this to the church at Ephesus, at the time that Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees, children were people under 13. Once you turn 13, you, uh, if you were a boy, you became a man, literally a son of the commandments. A bar mitzvah just means a son of the commandments. And so a Jewish boy would go through the ceremony of proving that he was a man, and the way you did that was to read from the, from the law of God. You'd read somewhere from the, 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 the rabbi would open the Pentateuch in front of you in Hebrew and drop his finger down and you would start to read. And if you could do that, you had all it took to be a man who could vote and do business in Israel. That's why a bar mitzvah is so important. Now, um, our culture does not think that you become a man at the age of 13. And all of you that are 15 years old thinking, yeah. Um, it would have helped if you'd lived in a culture that started preparing you for the responsibilities of manhood when you were 10. Our culture starts preparing you for the responsibilities of manhood when you turn 31. 
because right now our culture thinks that you should stay a boy as long as you possibly can. Uh, so it's, it's a little different, but for sure, children are people under 13 years of age, and uh, what, we, what the Bible teaches about that is that there's two parts of honoring your father and mother. One is obedience, provided they, they, or, you know, provided they command you to do something that's permitted by God's word. If they say, go knock over the liquor store, or bring us the money, uh, don't do it. They shouldn't be asking you to do that anyway. But as long as it's not something forbidden by the Bible, you should obey your parents. They're, they are seeking your good. They have lots of wisdom. You should obey. And if you're under 13, you should make them proud, which means listening when they talk about what pleases them about what you do and trying to do more of it. So that's, that's what it means to honor your parents when you're a child. Now, when you're an adult, similar things to obeying and making proud happen. And the longest passage in, in the Old Testament about honoring father and mother is in uh, Proverbs chapter 6, starting at verse 20. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them always on your heart. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For this command is a lamp, this teaching is a light, and correction and instruction are the way of life, keeping you from, the neighbors, from your neighbor's wife from the smooth talk of a wayward woman. Now, certainly, wayward women are in mind and in view here in Proverbs 6, but because Proverbs 1 through 9 is a big contrast between two women, a woman who is wisdom, who stands in the middle of the street and says, I am the way to life, follow me. And the woman who is in the alleyway going, psst, hey buddy. That's the wayward woman. The woman wisdom represents righteousness and the way of life, and the woman who is the adulterous woman represents folly and death. She represents all that is sin. And what we have here in Proverbs 6 is uh, the Bible tells us, if you would like to avoid the way of death, listen to your parents. And that's not, that doesn't say children listen to your, it says my son, but this is Solomon talking to those who are to him as sons, which includes adults, it includes us. So, well, does that mean that you have to obey your parents? No, but it does mean that you should be asking your parents for their opinion about things. You should be consulting with them, like sincerely. You should start the conversation. If nothing else, just tell them what you're up to and then say, what do you think? If they say, no, that's stupid, then you should say, please tell me more. <laughs> Not, I hear and obey no, please tell me more. These, no one knows you better than your parents, almost certainly. They have all kinds of wisdom that they would love to share with you. Just take my word for it. They would love to. But most of them have learned that if they offer it without being asked, it does not go well. So you should be asking. This is one of the ways you honor your parents, even now, no matter how old you are, is instead of obeying them, you consult them and get their direction. Uh, this is part of the way of, that we were designed to flourish as people, is to ask people who love us and are experienced 
to give us feedback on what our plans are. Uh, my mom doesn't expect me to obey her, obey her, but she sure likes it when I listen. And she likes it especially when I show that I've listened by saying, I hear, this is what I, the reasons I think you're giving me. And she'll say, that's it. And I'll say, yeah, but I'm going to do something else, mom. And she'll say, okay, so long as I know I was heard. That's, I, I'm a parent now, and I have, I have four children who live elsewhere. They're, uh, they're 25 is the youngest, and it makes me very, very happy when they want my opinion about things. I don't expect them to obey me. I don't think that's how it's supposed to work. Now, if you're in between 12 and 18, uh, that's really hard. Um, and I'll tell you from a parent's side, it's really hard from the parent's side, too, to know how you make the transition from being someone who's always o obeyed when they're 10 and someone who is just regularly consulted when they're 25. Like, something, there's magic that happens in there, and I'm not going to explain it this morning. Maybe I'll talk to Jonathan about it on a podcast. It means, though, that in order to honor your parents now, you might want to stay informed about their, what they're up to because the other half, instead of now working to make them proud, you become their cheerleader. They probably will continue to be your cheerleader. But you can become theirs. You learn about what they're attempting to do, and then you ask interest, you know, just show interested questions and maybe say, have you thought about this? Or um, I'd buy that, and then go buy it, you know. And help them. But you want to be encouraging. That's part of honoring your parents. In general, honoring our parents is about respect, out of gratitude, not out of fear, encouragement in all of their righteous plans, protection when you know something they don't. They don't have to listen to you. But you do reach a point, and that's where we're headed, you reach a point where they do need your protection, and part of honoring them is protecting them. Grant would never have left his 91-year-old grandmother, Edith, alone in the kitchen with the, with the stove on. And it's the same thing with a child, but with a child you're doing it because they need to be trained up in the way they should go. Edith doesn't need to be trained. She's just forgotten. So he honors her by making sure she's not alone with a hot stove. God's law is not oppressive. When it says honor father and mother, uh, and, and then it says there's a promise that comes with this, it's, it's saying explicitly, if you live this way, your life will go well. It's how you're designed for your life to be lived. And so we have the privilege of God telling us your life will go better if you obey these laws. Let me talk for a minute about the story that we're in. I said I don't like the story. I, don't want, I didn't want Grant imagining that his great-grandmother had become his child. He had children, and he knew that was different. And one of the ways that we might see that, think about uh, the difference it makes when you, when you have a choice to make, especially when you're in the middle of something, what a difference knowing what story you're in makes. If I was trying to sell my car, this happened to me, um, it didn't, I didn't do it right, so that's why it's present to my mind, so don't imitate me. I was trying to sell my car, and uh, it occurred to me that I was in a war, that only one of us was going to come out of this alive. <laughs> and if you do that, if you think that the story you're in when you're trying to sell your car uh, is a war, then it's 
perfectly okay not to tell them everything that's wrong with it, maybe even lie about it. So what kind of gas mileage it gets? Like 46. <laughs> like, why not? Only one of us is coming out of this alive, so let's do... No, that's not what's going on. Same thing is true as a disagreement with another believer. You think, they dissed me online. Like, don't do that. But suppose you were. Suppose someone held you up for ridicule. Somebody in this church said someone, something about you on social media. And like, it's easy to think, all right, now we fight. This is a thing where unless I make sure they pay, it could happen again. And I must be the defender of my honor. No one else will protect me. That sound like the right story? That is certainly not the right story. Because that would justify you in just being ugly in response, right? You lob that missile at me, I will lob a missile at you, and maybe we'll all be dead at the end, but so what? No, that's the wrong story. And the reason for mentioning it in this context is we can decide what story we're in. Usually we're terrible at figuring out which story we're supposed to be in, but our friends all know. They think this is a fight to the death, and your friends all want to take you aside and say, hey, uh, you're taking this a little too seriously. Like, chill. Nobody's going to see it. That's what all your friends want to do, but all of them know that if they take you aside and say, this, we're not in a war, you're going to get your head bit off, and you will just become part of the other team. Like, these are the people that I'm fighting with. So you're going to have to develop the discipline of asking people, what, what story are we in here? What's happening? What is this like? So that they can say, uh, it looks like you're having a disagreement with another believer, and what the world should see is that we love each other. That's the story we're in, showing the world that we love each other. Oh, yeah. But if you don't ask for it, they're probably not going to tell you because you just end up on the wrong side. Ask people, what story are we in? You can choose it. I don't think our parents ever become our children, even when they become dependent to a degree on us for protection and even provision. So here's the principle that, I've, uh, that Grant and I hammered out together and that I'd like to recommend to you, and that is that when you have to make decisions for your parents because uh, either they need you to or want you to, you want to make the choice that they would make if they could understand what was going on. So you have to, but then you have to remember, what were they like? What did they value? What would they choose if it were up to them? Because it's, it's really about them. And th in the hospital, this is clear. It's what the law requires. The law requires you to make the decision that your loved one would make if they were conscious. But let's, we don't need the law to tell us. What does it mean to honor your, what does it mean for Grant to honor his grandmother? It's to make the choices that she would make if she could understand it and tell him. So he has to know her well enough to make choices as, as she would, and he should just make sure he's making choices for her that are biblically permissible. It just means they're not forbidden by the Bible. So... <clears throat> Um, this is not the way you treat children. When your six-year-old wants something desperately, you don't say, yes, it's my job to give you whatever you want. Of course you don't do that. You say, um, I'm your, I say, I'm your dad. 
I don't care. You're throwing a fit. Be miserable. <laughs> okay, be miserable for a short time, and then there's going to be pain involved. <laughs> Legally appropriate pain, but pain nonetheless. Um, uh, can Grant do that with his grandmother? No, of course not. Suppose it were something more complicated. S suppose that um, Grant's uh, grandmother had received a cancer diagnosis, and the doctors came and said, here's what it's going to take. It's going to take six months of treatment. It's going to be very painful. Um, much of the time, she'll be in so much pain that um, she won't be able to carry on a conversation. Um, if it was a child, you would say, we're going to go through this together. I'll be right next to you. I know it's going to hurt, but this is what you need. That's not what Grant has to say to his grandmother. He can say, we're going to keep you comfortable. Would you want to be in pain for the last six months of your life and probably die in pain to fight a cancer? No. For the child, you would say, it's not up to you. With your grandmother, you say, what would she choose if she could understand the question? And before I explain what happened to, with uh, Grant and his grandmother, you should be taking some things away from this. Like, if you're children, you should want to talk to your parents right now about what they want so that when this time comes, and it doesn't matter how old, if your parents are alive, this recommendation is for you. Your, if your parents are alive, your children in this part of what I want to say, you need to start talking to them about what they want. Do you want do you want me to uh, chemically sedate you so that you won't get out of the chair and mess up your therapy when you're too old to realize what's going on? Ask them. Here's the quickest way to get there. Mom, Dad, let's watch a movie together about people getting old. Your parents are going to think, wait, you want to watch a movie about people getting old? Nothing explodes. There are no superheroes. It's just people getting old. And, and you will say, yes, let's watch this. And then along the way, you as the child can say, would you want that? And your parents will either say, yes, or no. You'll get data. Probably one movie will be enough <laughs> to generate all kinds of conversations about what they want. Because when you get to, I'm only 62. One of, one of the nice things about working with people uh, who are even older than I am is I stay like I feel young all the time. But even at 62, I'm starting to think about, what do I want? How do I want my children to care for me? Do I want to be in an assisted living facility? Uh, how, do I, how do I want the end to go? That's a really good thing to try to explain to your children. Watching movies turns out to be the fastest way to make that happen. So talk to them about what you want, and if your children, get your children, get your parents talking. If your parents, and it looks like many of you are, go talk to your children. Say, let's watch a movie. They're going to say, really? It's going to be boring then you watch the movie and tell them what happened. Here's the things that we remember. Uh, talk to them about how you want it to go when you get older. Write it down. Um, if you've been through this, if you're in it right now with a parent who can't make decisions and you're the one having to make them, uh, wouldn't it be wonderful if some part of what they wanted had been written down? You're probably going to get it right. It turns out that one of the ways that the Holy Spirit cares for us is the Holy Spirit empowers us to think more clearly when we have to make decisions for our parents out of love for them. So you're probably going to get it right, but wouldn't it have been nice if they had left some instructions? 
So right now you can do this great blessing for your children, put some of your wishes in writing, and most difficult for me, start practicing what it means to let other people take care of you. I'm terrible at this. It hurts. It feels humiliating to let other people just do anything for me. But as you age, you reach a point where you need other people to do it, and one of the things you want the Holy Spirit also doing in you is making you the kind of person who will let other people care for you without criticizing or running them down. If you're caring for an aging loved one right now, you know what I'm talking about. It's time to start practicing letting other people carry you um, while you can, while you can make the choice. So what happened with Edith and Grant? So the first question, chemical restraints. Grant said, okay, if Edith could understand the question, so the question is, do you want to be sedated so that you never get out of the chair, uh, but by the way, it means that you won't be able to understand anything else that's going on around you, would you want that? And he said, I know she wouldn't want that. She is able to interact with her great-grandchildren when they visit. Uh, she wouldn't want to lose that, so no to the, to the chemical restraints. Great. said, suppose we could ask Edith, would you like for your grandson to take money out of his retirement and education funds to provide a 24-7 sitter for you? He said, she would be horrified. That is the last thing she'd want me to do with the money. Okay, then probably you're not going to do that because you can honor her by doing what, by making the choice she would make if she could choose. And he said, but um, she'll be in some danger. I said, well, do you think that she would accept the danger involved in order for you to keep the money for the purposes that you've set it aside? He said, I think so. Okay, so... Uh, he went to the, uh, to the people who ran the assisted living facility, and he said, um, I'm not going to sue you. Like, whatever happens, I don't think she would want me to spend the money on a sitter. Uh, if, you have, if people, and they're walking by her room, I don't, this doesn't need to be anybody's job, but if you go by her room and you see her trying to get out of her chair, you just lean in and say, Edith, remember? And she'll sit down. And they did. She lived four months Never more than once a day did somebody have to say, Edith, remember? And she'd sit back down. And four months later, she died of a lung condition that she didn't fall again. Now, that's a very happy way things go, but it's not the happiest thing about this story because I didn't tell you that Edith knew Jesus and Grant knew Jesus. And he knew that she was not afraid to die because she was trusting the blood of Jesus to cover all of her sins, and she was looking forward to being with Jesus in glory. And because of that, it made it easier for Grant to say, I believe this is a risk that my grandmother would run, but it was also a source of joy for Edith when he explained to her what they were doing. We have to remember that Jesus went to the cross not only because he loved us, but because he was honoring his Father. In Matthew 10, Jesus says, I lay down my life and I take it up again. This is a charge that my Father has given to me. And when he was in the garden, he said, I don't want this, but if it is your will, my Father, I will take this. Jesus went to the cross for you and for me 
because he loves us and in order to honor his Father. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we belong to you, and we are the beneficiaries of Jesus' obedience to you. We thank you that we stand clothed in Christ's righteousness, that we have nothing to fear from death or this life, and we ask that you would fill us with your Spirit that we might honor our parents in ways that please you and are for our good and theirs. Thank you for the time that we can spend together. Thank you for your word that lights the path before us. And we ask that you'd be at work in us even now. In Jesus' name, amen.